You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, uh, let's open our Bibles to Ezra, where we are studying through the Word. We have a great passage for Father's Day, actually. I think a uh, good exhortation, a good example uh, for fathers out of Ezra's life. So uh, we'll cover uh, tonight the book of Ezra in our Sunday night study. And then that means next week uh, is Nehemiah. So read through Nehemiah. I think it'll be much more pleasant meeting these guys in heaven that you can actually tell them you read their book. It'd be kind of embarrassing. You meet Ezra in heaven, and he's like, how, how long were you a Christian? Like 40 years. Well, what did you think of my book? Did it help you a lot? Like, I never read it. <laughs> to look at that guy for all eternity. Like, Here comes Ezra. I never read it. Uh, so, you know, Nehemiah, you'll be happy to meet him. Like, hey, Nehemiah, thanks, bro. You got a lot out of that thing you wrote. So, uh, Ezra chapter 7 is where Ezra comes into the book. It's interesting because the first uh, six chapters, he's not around, uh, maybe not even born, probably most likely not even born yet. So, or maybe at the end, you know, when they finish the temple. But um, the first part is about the, the people returning after the captivity to rebuild the temple. And then he comes later uh, to bring encouragement and God really uses him as well as Nehemiah to refresh and encourage the people both physically and spiritually. And as we're introduced to him in our passage, in chapter 7, uh, he gives us a statement uh, in verse 10, just about uh, who he was as a person. God's hand was upon him at the end of verse 9, which is probably the key phrase to summarize and understand his life. The good hand of his God was upon him. But on his side of things, verse 10, uh, it says, Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. He really becomes the, the founder or uh, the best example of the scribes, the scribal tradition. Now, for us, when we study the New Testament, it's the scribes and Pharisees who make themselves the enemies of Jesus. So by the time Jesus comes, a few hundred years later, the scribes are pretty corrupted. Um, they, they aren't really seeking the Lord that would be the same group that when the wise men came to uh, Herod, you know, hey, we saw the sign that the, the Messiah, the King of Israel has been born, and they sought the guys that knew the Bible, the scribes, and they said, yeah, it's in Bethlehem, so they knew, but then the wise men go to Bethlehem and see Jesus, but the scribes don't go. So they know the, God, the Word of God, but they don't really have an interest in Jesus. So, so we're going to set aside our New Testament sort of orientation, and this is, this is really the heart of the scribal tradition or the ministry, the best, the best aspect of it is Ezra himself. And these things that it says in verse 10 about him, there's three things. First, he prepares his heart to seek the law of the Lord. Then secondly, he's doing it. And then thirdly, he's teaching it. So uh, we're going to look at that. We're going to consider that also. I think it's easy to make an application for us as dads. Uh, we have a responsibility as dads to influence and to teach, uh, but without a heart 
change without a heart to seek the law of the Lord, and then without the doing of it, our teaching's going to be highly suspect. It's not going to be as impactful. So, Lord, help us. We pray your Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts, break up if there's any hardened ground, that you'll break up any hard soil of our hearts, that you would give us a heart to receive. And then, Lord, if you please would uh, stir up in us, stir up our hearts to follow Ezra's example, that we would seek you uh, with our whole hearts, seek Seek your word with our whole hearts and then be doers of the word. And then we know naturally the teaching will come right out of that, Lord. And so help us not short circuit your plans. And, and we want to have that influence. We want to be uh, those men that uh, do strike the arrows uh, as you've been speaking to us. We want to not be half-hearted, Lord, but wholehearted. So encourage us, bless your word to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that I love about Ezra is uh, it says he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. It's the heart. The heart's the thing. Uh, what's going on with your heart? This morning, that's what I would start with. That's where Ezra describing himself starts. What's going on with your heart? And it says here that he prepared his heart. We have some kind of responsibility when it comes to our own hearts. Obviously, we can't change our hearts. You've, you're, you've self-lamented Man, why am I like this? Why do I keep doing this? Like, I hate this, and it's the thing I do, but it's the thing I wish I wouldn't do anymore. Uh, we, we're sometimes plagued. We feel like from within us is this rotten energy going where it's not supposed to, you know, he's like, I don't want to go that way, and that's where we're pulled. The things we feel like, we, I should be doing this, but that's the hardest thing to do. Can't really blame it on the devil. You'd like to, but you know, like the enemy really often is my own heart, my own desires. And uh, how do we do this? How do we prepare our hearts? Because the heart's the thing. The Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence. You've got to protect your heart. You've got to guard it. Uh, the doctors will tell you to protect your heart by your diet, by your exercise. Do some cardio three times a week. Do this much cardio. Why? Well, because the people who do this much cardio they have a much less likely chance of having a heart attack. They're going to be a lot healthier. There's heart health. We understand it physically, but what about the heart spiritually? When someone doesn't have a whole heart for the Lord, you ever been around someone half-hearted? You say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian too. And you think, I've been working with you for six months. I couldn't tell. You know, how could you not tell someone's a Christian? Half-heartedness will do it. Lickety split, man, like a, like a slicked out slide that you can slide down without even trying. Um, Half-heartedness, divided heart. So there's a part that we play preparing our heart. And I was reminded, thinking of, of this, how to answer the question, how do we prepare our heart? There's a passage in Jeremiah. If you'll save your Ezra place, uh, turn to Jeremiah chapter 4. The people had a problem with their heart in Jeremiah's day, and uh, here's some advice from God to the people about their hearts. Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, take away the foreskins of your hearts, you men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn so that none can quench it because of the evil of your doings. 
Now, we just finished 2 Kings, and we know Jeremiah was ministering during that terrible time, or 2 Chronicles, and um, the end of Judah, and the wickedness of the people. And so this is a message for, from the passages last week of, uh, of rebellion, and God's telling them about their hearts. And he uses the analogy of hard soil. Break up the fallow ground. This is when you go to plant something. Let's say it's spring, and uh, you live here in Elk Grove, and... You want to go plant something, and you don't do anything to your soil. You just go out, you have a bare piece of ground in your backyard, nothing's been growing there, and you think, well, this is open. This is open land in my backyard. And you put some seeds there, and uh, you scratch through the soil a little bit and get them kind of buried. Uh, How's it going to work out? Well, we who live in Elk Grove know that we have wonderful clay. It's amazing. It's this very incredible clay. Uh, it's good for pottery, uh, cement, bricks, or, you know, adobe. You want to make a house? You could use my backyard for it. Uh, the, the dirt, the clay is wonderful. It holds a lot of water, but it needs to be amended. It needs to be broken up. If you don't break it up properly, if you only break up just a little bit, you get a little bit of topsoil. When we get to the hard, hard heat, the hot days of summer, the poor plants don't have enough uh, where their roots can get down. There's not enough water. They can't get to it because there's this brick that's there. It has to be broken up. If you do a good job breaking it up, then you're going to have great flowers. You're going to have great uh, vegetable garden. Great, Your trees will be healthy. You have to break up the fallow ground. It's interesting that God in Jeremiah and Ezra, as an example of it, prepared his heart, prepared the soil, God's telling the people in Jeremiah's day, hey, it's on you guys. You've got to break up the fallow ground. Is the ground of my heart hard? We have to have decisive repentance. Is my heart hard? How can I tell if my heart's hard? Well, here's one way to tell if you argue with the sermon. I didn't say argue with me. You can argue with me all day long. If I say something stupid, don't take it, Okay. Uh, sometimes I get emails from people that get mad at me because I made an application. The application didn't apply to them. I get an email and they're like, you said this and you said, well, I don't even have a problem with that. I think like, okay, congratulations. Like, uh, did I say like, you're, what are you talking about? You get decide, right? You decide what the Lord's speaking to you. But think about this. If God's speaking to you and you don't like it, what does that indicate? I remember one lady, this is a long time ago, so I'm not offending anybody. This is, man, this is like almost 30 years ago. Uh, this lady came up to me and she said, I, you know, pray for my husband. And, uh, and I said, oh, yeah, I haven't seen him. You know, how's it going? She goes, he's just decided he doesn't like what you say on Sunday, so he's not coming. I thought, well, at least he's listening. You know, he didn't like it. I don't like it. I don't want to, I don't go to that church. I don't like what that guy's saying. Okay. If it's me saying it, you don't like what I say, hey man, we're, all, we're cool, I have a problem with that. But if I was simply sharing what God's word says, and like as a human, if, how am I going to break up my fallow ground? I have to recognize, am I not liking what God says? When God's correcting me, and the Bible many, many times, probably for most of us, the majority of the time, it's going to involve some correction. When Paul was encouraging Timothy about the power of the word of God, remember he said, the word of God's living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, or uh, the Hebrews passage, it's able to cut between the soul and the spirit. There's a, 
There's this getting down in there. So what Paul told Timothy, uh, the word of God's given by inspiration. It's profitable for reproof. Where? Between the soul and the spirit. The deepest part of me, correction will come. I'll get rebuked by the spirit of God through the word of God in the deepest part of me. Deeper than my wife could correct me. She could see my behaviors deeper than my best friend could correct me. Like the deepest part. And act, the, the word of God will come and say, hey, that's not right. You need to deal with this. Correction. What are, what are the four words in, in there? In, it's Second uh, Timothy chapter 3. You guys know the verse? Reproof, correction, instruction, and in righteousness. I just want to miss one. I'm trying to be nice to you guys. What are they? Say it, say it, Greg. Exhortation? Is it exhortation? Three of the four have to do with correction. Reproof, rebuke, correction, instruction in righteousness. Instruction in righteousness means that's not right. This is right. Really, it's, it's very corrective. So that I'm thinking, I'm doing really good. My heart's deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. I don't have a problem with myself. I'm an awesome person. Welcome to church. You're awesome. Don't worry, this church is never going to correct you. Well, how can the church never correct you if, if we're sharing the word of God? If, if we're sharing the word of God, guess what? It's going to involve corrections. Now, have you ever been driving with a new driver who didn't like making corrections? Corrections are necessary in life to survive. You can't just leave your foot on the gas. You can't just uh, go where you want to go, do what you want to do, exactly how you want to do it. You have, you, there's corrections, a big part of life. How do I break up my fallow ground with decisive repentance to really tell the Lord, Lord, I agree with you that you're right and I'm coming to you to have you correct me. That, that's, a, that's a preparation of the heart. You're going to read your Bible every day. You said, I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to seek God for myself daily. And before you open the book, say, Lord, I want to hear what you have to say. And I, I, my heart's open. You got some correction for me. I want to receive it. I want, I want you to shed light on what you're doing in my life. And if there's a blind spot, show it to me. And then get ready, because he loves those prayers. And the light will shine, and you'll see a blind spot, and you'll say, has it been like that? Is that what it looked like? Is that, what I, is that what's been going on? And you receive it. Will I receive God's word? Or like hard soil, will it just bounce? Remember Jesus used this analogy of seeds and soil when he talked about hearing the word of God. He said, some seed goes and it's planted and it lands on hard soil. What happens to that seed? It doesn't even go in, and the birds eat it. To have a heart so hard that the, when the word of God comes, it doesn't even go in at all. This is the amazing thing that happens at church services. I've had this happen so many times where one person sitting next to somebody else, they're hearing God speak to them, and it's changing their life, and the person sitting right next to them, the heart is so hard that the seed's not even, plant, not even going in. It's not even penetrating bouncing around the surface. We have to determine beforehand, preparing a heart to seek the law of the Lord is to determine beforehand that God's way is going to be my way, that I'm no longer going to do it my way. I've decided, I've repented. Repentance means a change of my mind that I'm going to agree with God. There are people who profess Christ, but many times they forget that part of that means to repent. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. Do you do what he says? Well, sometimes, periodically, when we agree, I mean, when he agrees with me, when he comes on board with what I want to have happen, but as long as he's not on board with me, well then, 
You know, I'm not that interested in what he has to say. That's a, that's a fallow ground. That's hard. That's a heart that's hard. The second thing that God warns them about, if we're going to try to figure out how to do this, how to prepare your heart to seek the law of the Lord, break up the fallow ground there, Jeremiah 4, verse 3. Then the second thing he says is don't sow among thorns. This actually directs us, you know, now not just the fallow ground, but now we've got thorny ground. So we have to talk about Jesus teaching about the sower went out to sow and the seed went on the hard ground, the seed went on... The shallow ground, the seed went amongst the thorns because here's two of the points Jesus made in what God was telling the men in Jeremiah's day. Don't sow among the thorns. Jesus said this about the thorns in Mark 4 verses 18 and 19. These are the ones that are sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word and the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Cares and deceitfulness of riches and desires. These are all things that are about the heart. What does my heart want? What do you have on your heart? What do you desire? Right? It's Father's Day. When your kids get old enough to spend your money and actually buy you something maybe that you want. When they get old enough to have their own money, which is awesome. They go, hey, Dad, we got this for you. Like, hey, that's, all, that's very thoughtful. What do you want? What's on your heart? So the word of God comes. God's telling me what's on his heart, but I got something on my heart, and they're incompatible. Don't sow among the thorns. Having a divided heart. Have you ever had a divided heart? It's a hard place to be. It's difficult. My heart's not trustworthy. I've already quoted that verse also. Uh, from Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? My heart's fickle. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes uh, my heart's into something and then it kind of gets burned out on that. And then I'm, got a, I'm into something else and then I get kind of burned out on that. And then I'm trying something else and I'm kind of burned out on that. Uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's not dependable. It's up, it's down. The heart, you have to prepare your heart. Jeremiah, Ezra prepared his heart. He prepared, how did he prepare his heart? Well, let's take the Jeremiah's. He didn't. I mean, he broke up his fallow ground, and then he was careful. You have to be careful about these other desires, the cares of the world. Now, whenever we talk about the cares of the world, there's always that voice that says, well, we have to eat food, don't we? I mean, I have to put a roof on the, on the, over the family's head. There's, there's those things that we have to do. Yeah. But do those things choke out the word generally? Is it a man's faithfulness to his commitment to his family to provide for them that makes him a bad husband and a bad father? Ladies, let's set the men aside. We'll let the ladies answer that question. Not usually. Usually it's a, a lust of the flesh or a lust of the eyes or the pride of life. Usually it's a desire to be thought of in a certain way and to dominate his industry that takes the majority of the energy away from the family it puts him in a place where the wife and the kids now are in, are in second place. The word of God's in last place. What is God saying? Well, is God telling me to do this or is my desire for this the thing that's telling me to do it? Being able to make this decision that it's not the riches or the desire for other things, but determining ahead of time what, what's necessary. Remember Mary and Martha when Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha was cumbered about much serving, serving Jesus, even the ministry. 
I could teach about pastors and their, their heart. How many kids who are raised in a ministry home struggle with their faith? And why do they? We have to be honest. I'll speak for my group, my cult. I mean, my, my uh, people group that I'm part of as pastors. How many times? There's even a, an, they'll say, he's a PK. What does that mean? What, is, well, what does it mean? Why would there be, I mean, obviously there's spiritual warfare, but what would it be like to be a child that's watching the dad profess one thing, but then you're with him all the time and you see, actually, he loves the accolades. It's not really the Lord. Dad doesn't, dad lets us serve him. Dad doesn't really, he's not really serving the Lord. You live with someone, you can figure out what they're serving. He's serving himself. How would, how could you grow up in a home where the one, in one side of the mouth you're professing it's the Lord, but you live with the person you're like, I don't think it's the Lord. I think you love being in front. I think you love playing music. I think you want everybody to think you're that awesome. I'm not sure it's really worship because you don't really worship. But you sure like being in front of people. You sure like having people come up and tell you how great you are. Your speech was so wonderful. Your words changed my life. It happens though, doesn't it? We have to not sow among the thorns. Prepare your heart to seek the law of the Lord means, Lord, your kingdom, your kingdom come, your will be done. My kingdom go, Lord. Having this preparation of the heart, determining ahead of time that one thing is necessary. Martha cumbered about so much serving, serving Jesus, meeting the needs of the disciples of Jesus and Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And what did Jesus say when Martha had an issue? Mary has chosen the better part. There's one thing necessary. Well, wait, don't we have to do this? Well, there's one thing necessary. If the one thing necessary is being met, don't you think all the other things that are less necessary are going to happen? Of course they're going to happen. Of course. No one's saying that. We're just saying first things first. That's what Ezra decided. He prepared his heart. The heart's the real thing. So what's going on with my heart? Can you tell when someone's heart isn't into something? You ever coach a team? All right, let's go run some laps. They start running laps. Can you tell whose heart's not into it when the kids start running laps? Can you tell? Yeah, you can tell. You ever work with somebody? All right, we got to get everybody on board for this project. It's coming up. If we're going to save this branch of the department or if we're going to accomplish this goal and get everybody together, you can almost tell immediately when the meeting closes by how people are responding. You hear somebody, you can almost hear the grumbling immediately. The meeting ends and you hear the voice, like, well, I guess that didn't go very deep. You can hear the ding, 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 the seeds bouncing off the surface, right? So what about, what about the Lord? Half-hearted. I think you can tell when someone's heart's not into it. I think I can tell when someone's heart's not. I'm not all the time. Obviously, we don't know people's hearts. You say, that person's heart's not into it. Well, maybe they just lost their best friend and they're just grieving their mourning. You can't, we don't always know someone's heart. But a lot of times we can. Let me ask you a better question. Do you think God can tell when your heart's not into it? Have you ever had somebody be, do something for you and their heart wasn't into it? Um, I think some of my greatest treasures, my greatest gifts that I've ever received are things I received from my kids where their heart was into it. I carry around in my wallet a little poem written by Bethany when she was just so little 
uh, I laminated it because I didn't want to lose it. It was written in pencil. You know, pen, I figured if I carry this in my wallet, it will be disintegrated and the pencil will rub off. So I laminated it to my wallet. I keep it. And she's, I don't know how old she is. She's like maybe six or seven. She can write. She was always had great penmanship and, and she wrote a poem for me. I was leaving on a missions trip and she wrote a little poem and it, and it's faulty uh, a little bit. You know, it does, it's, it's rhyming until the last line doesn't rhyme. And, uh, that makes it more precious to me because she's not at the age really old enough. She's old enough to rhyme, but not old enough to kind of catch that the last line doesn't rhyme. And, uh, and it means more to me. And, and it was out of her own heart. She, she, I'm getting ready to go and she hands it to me. Man, I'm, I read it on the plane and started crying. I read it when I'm out wherever I was. I'm, you know, halfway through the trip, I pull out like, <laughs> you know. I don't know that she could ever buy me something that would equal that. It's because it's the heart. And when someone gives you something and it's from the heart, and when someone gives you something and you think, wow, you were really into this. It's just not, their heart's not in it. Do you think that means something to the Lord? Can you give your heart to the Lord? Isn't that even a, a figure of speech, an idiom that we say as Christians? We say, I gave my heart to Jesus. What do we mean when we say that? You gave your heart, you gave your heart to Jesus? Yeah, every day. I gave him my heart. You know, the Bible says we can ask Jesus to come into our heart. Jesus said, I'm going to come and make your heart my home. Christ at home in our hearts. We can actually give our hearts to Jesus. We can ask Jesus to come live in our hearts. You know, you can ask God to give you a new heart. Hopefully, thinking about this, hopefully there's somebody here this morning that would be honest enough with themselves if their heart's troubled, you can actually ask God for a new one. Isn't that awesome? You're sitting here listening to me going, well, thanks for, thanks for ruining my Father's Day. You know, my heart's messed up. I, all these things are true of me. Here's some good news for you. You don't like your heart? Get a transplant. <laughs> and you don't have to get on a list. And you don't have to wait for a donor. And you don't have to, it doesn't have to be at someone else's tragic expense. You can get a new heart. How do you get a new heart? Ask God. David did. He had problems with his heart. He's the man after God's own heart. And yet he's also the person who prayed, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. To get a new heart from the Lord. If any man's in Christ, is a new creation. Old things pass away, all things become new. You can get a new heart. The Bible says in the new covenant, God writes his laws in our hearts. If, you, if your heart's divided, you can ask the Lord, Lord, there's stuff written on my heart, graffiti, from me. I woke up in the night and I was sniffing the paint and I was writing my name all over everything. Not that I ever did that. Any graffiti? Any of you guys? I'm looking at backsliders in here that are relating to me. None of you guys? All right, I don't want to talk about it. But it's a th- it could happen. It's a thing. Um, I have something else written on my heart. God, would you write your laws in my heart? In my heart. The law of God in my heart. Not from on the outside. Not Ten Commandments written in the finger of God in a stone. But a living heart. A new heart given to me by God. God residing in my heart. Writing his laws in my heart. Working in me to will and to do of his good pleasure. The Bible says we can seek God with all of our hearts. Seeking God with all of our heart. Could you prepare your heart to seek God with all of your heart? Can you tell when someone's half-hearted? 
It's all about the heart, really. And so with his heart, break up the fallow ground. Don't sow among thorns. The last thing here he says in the Jeremiah 4, kind of using this as a help for us, circumcise yourself to the Lord and take away the foreskin of your heart. So this is mixing his metaphors. The foreskin's part of a different part of the anatomy. The male anatomy, the foreskin of the, what a man has that a woman doesn't have, you're removing that. It's a sign of their separation. The Jewish people were all, all the males were circumcised. Makes the, the, the flesh is removed and we're set apart for the Lord. And God says to them, you ought to do that with your heart. <laughs> That's what I'm looking for with the heart. Your heart ought to signify in the heart you're separated to me. There's junk that's there. Cut it off and get it out and set yourself apart for me. And that's what Ezra was doing, preparing his heart to seek the law of the Lord, having this sort of attitude towards, from my heart towards God's word. This is a game changer for us. We're not, we're going to ultimately talk about teaching, but this is the most effective. You want to impact your teaching and change your influence. This is the starting point. And unless you win this battle for the heart, you're going to really hinder your ability to influence and to teach and to have it taken seriously. To seek the law of the Lord from the heart. And I want to look at a couple of places. Turn to Psalm 119. Because David was a person who did this. Uh, Ezra did it, but also David. And David, being a great poet, a great songwriter, writes about the law of the Lord. The whole Psalm 119 is all about the law of the Lord. It's the longest song that he wrote. And it's, it's all about God's word, how much he loves God's word and his heart for the word of God. And just picking a couple of stanzas to seek the law of the Lord, thinking of Ezra and how David also is an example of this. In Psalm 119, starting in verse 97, we'll read this uh, particular stanza. It says, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. David says, I love, your, I love your law so much, I think about it all the time. And one of the impacts of it is it gives me wisdom. I'm surrounded by enemies who want to wipe me out, and they have a strategy for me, and they want to see me fall. But I love your law, because when I'm meditating on it, you show me what the enemy's doing. You give me wisdom to escape it. I, I, have, I have your strategic alliance with me through the word. And so I love that. Now, how's that going to come, you guys? Through re- rebuke, reprove, correction, instruction of righteousness. What Paul told Timothy. I'm going to say, this is a great idea. The interest rates are here, and I can double down, and I can get more stuff in 2007. I remember a guy who was a Christian guy. He was actually in ministry. And I remember him asking me how much we owed on our house and what our interest rate was. And I remember him getting so excited. He's like, man, the interest rates are going crazy. You need to get a variable rate. You need to get that money out. And he was like a, like he was like a gold fever. You know, his eyes were crazy. He's like an old prospector. He had been eaten by gold fever. I remember a couple years later after that, talking with him and he lost his shorts, man. He'd gone like, leveraged everything and then everything went crazy and i remember praying like lord am i being stupid am i and lord just starts speaking to me don't love the world or the things in the world the world's passing away and also it's lust the one who does the will of god abides forever i'm like well all right but i sure do love the world lord yeah but don't love the world it's a correction 
I sure love the world that don't love the world. It's passing away and it's lust. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. The world's passing away. Oh, how I love thy law. Through your commandments, you make me wiser than my enemies. Verse 99 in Psalm 119. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. One of the sad things about having mentors who are much older than you is they die long before you do. So that's happened to me. My, my two greatest mentors are with Jesus. There's many, many times that I wish I could make a phone call to either one of them. And every time I think of it, I'm like, man, I wish I could call and ask Romaine about this. The Lord will speak to me immediately. The still small voice will be in my head saying, really? You don't want to ask me about it? Like, well, Lord, I'll ask you. But it would be nice to hear. Yes, what, what, if he had something to say to you, wouldn't I have been the one that gave it to him? Or do you want to hear his input apart from me? I'm like, don't ask me these trick rhetorical questions, Lord. You can have more understanding than your teacher's. This is a secret, for, especially for young people. You could be without the experience of age, but because God's word is your counselor, you can have wisdom way beyond your age. You can have more understanding even than a teacher because you meditate on God's word. You prepared your heart to seek the law of the Lord. You're going to hear what God says. Verse, verse 100, I understand more than the ancients. That's the 50s plus fellowship which I'm a member of. I'm in the same club. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. I've set my heart for the word of God. Now, generally, old people, because they've had many more decades to fail and make terrible mistakes, so they've learned hard things the hard way. So a young person hasn't done that, and an old person has all this experience. So generally, there's the wisdom of, of old age, and we respect and honor the older people. We're supposed to. The Bible says to. But here David's saying, listen, the word of God will make you a gray hair. You know, it'll make you a wise old man. I remember one time a, a kid who was 13 years old came to volunteer to help pay for his summer camp. And I started talking to him when I was a janitor at Calvary. They had some junior high kids that single moms, they needed to kind of work to pay for their camp. And I, this kid's name was Eric. And I remember working with Eric. And after about a half hour, I was thinking, I think Eric's like about 50. Uh, he was, a, he was a scrawny, like, you know, typical 13-year-old kid. Uh, and and he, he was so wise, though. He loved God's Word. Reading God's Bible, reading his Bible every day, reading God's Word, receiving it, had set his heart to receive it. That guy was, you know, his perspective on things. I forget, I mean, we're talking in fellowship, and I forget I'm standing next to a 13-year-old kid. Why? He's got some wisdom. Where'd he get it? Got it from the Bible. Because he loves it. He loves God's word. Listen to verse 101, Psalm 119. I've restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. That's that predetermining. I restrained my feet. I, you know, I put my feet in the, in the blocks and said, I ain't going. You know, how? Well, God's word. Verse 102. I've not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. When you go to the Bible, you get taught by God. Isn't it wonderful when God makes application of his word into your life personally? Here's the thing for us as a church. 
we're on like whatever, five times through the Bible? I forget what number we're going through the Bible. So probably the Bible's gotten old by now as a congregation. We need a new book. Has it gotten old? Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Some of us have gotten old, but the Bible's not gotten old. The Bible's amazing. I mean, it's alive. It's powerful. It's fresh. It's new. You open the Bible and ask God to speak to you, reading a passage like, oh, I know it's coming. Whenever I read the Bible, I think, oh, I know it's coming. I just buckle up because I go, oh, that's a, those are famous last words for a fresh insight from the Holy Spirit. It's awesome. You have taught me, Lord. Look at verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Oh, the word. Oh, and God spoke to me. Oh, that's amazing. I love it. Through your precepts, I get understanding, and therefore I hate every false way. To seek the law of the Lord means to investigate, to inquire. These are some of the ways the word's translated. Primarily in the Old Testament, it's translated as inquire. Investigate, require, it's called that. Seeking, caring for something that's expressing a great interest. Asking to inquire diligently is how it's translated. He set his heart to seek the law of the Lord. Oh, it's sweet to my mouth. Sweeter than honey. Oh, it makes me wise. Oh, it delivers me from my enemies. God himself is teaching me. But look at the next stanza. I'm just pick two. Look at the next stanza in Psalm 119. Verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We talked about this a little bit last week of the circumstances around Hezekiah having such an influence in such a dark time. Well, what do you need if you're in a dark season and it's a treacherous path? You need a torch. You need a flashlight. You know, if you want to go night diving, you're going to go scuba diving and go on a night dive, you actually need two torches. You're supposed to have two flashlights because you need your backup. Why? Because if you're in the ocean and it's after dark, the freakiest creatures that you don't want to be around are, are the ones that are out. And secondly, if you turn the light out, it's dark. Like, hand in front of your face dark. And those creatures that when you turn the light on, oh, look, it's a shark. Oh, look, there's a several, you know. Turn the light off, like, oh, good, they're gone. <laughs> when the headlines are terrible, when the, when the country's imploding, when everything's bad, hey, the, God's word is a lamp for my feet. I know exactly what I'm doing. How will I know? Well, I just go on CNN, they tell me. I just go on Fox News, man. I just listen to this. They tell me what to do. Oh, man, I go to the Word of God. I set my heart to seek the law of the Lord. Why? Because it's a lamp for my feet. It'll say, don't go that way. But everyone's going that way. Everyone say, hey, it says to go this way. I'm going to go this way. It'll be a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. It's awesome. He says in verse 1, I'm sorry, we're looking at verse 106 in Psalm 119. I've sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. And I picked this stanza because it's more difficult than the previous one is a lot of joy and rejoicing in the victories. But look at 107, verse 107 of Psalm 119. I'm afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. When we're in difficulty, the word of God comes. Verse 108, except I pray the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, teach me your judgments. My life is continually in my hand, yet I don't forget your law. When your life is in your hand, that's not a good thing. <laughs> my life's in my hand. Like I, I'm in trouble right now. The wicked have laid a snare for me, verse 110, but I've not strayed from your precepts. 
And your testimonies I've taken as a heritage forever. They're the rejoicing of my heart. And I've inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever till the very end. David actually in verse 112, it says exactly what is said of Ezra in Ezra 7 verse 10. I've inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. This guy prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. David, I've inclined my heart to your statutes. My life is in my hands, but it's your word. I'm in the darkness, but your word's my light. I got adversaries, but your word's going to deliver me. That's what Ezra did. I think when we think about teaching, we want to have a class on how to teach, how to have influence. But in the Bible, it starts with the heart. You want to be a person of influence, you've got to look at your own heart. A divided-hearted person is not going to have much influence. It's got to be from the heart. When someone's telling you something and they don't think of it, they don't believe in it with all their heart, can you tell? Most of the time? I mean, sometimes you get fooled by somebody. But most of the time, you can tell. Someone's, you're telling you something. Well, let me tell you something. You're listening and you're like, I don't think you believe it. I don't think you really believe it. We all have kind of a truth detector inside of us. We, we deal with people. We see their body mannerisms. We, have you ever seen somebody tell you something with a fake smile? You're just making that face and you're just listening and you're like, man, just dial it down. Like, put it at an eight. It'll be more effective. You've got it cranked up, you know. The heart. It's really the heart. Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. And then, step two, we're back in Ezra 7, verse 10. Step two, to do it. I'm going to seek the law of the Lord. My heart's ready. I'm breaking up my fallow ground. I'm not sowing among the thorns. I'm, I'm circumcising my heart to the Lord. I'm receiving the word of God. I'm going to do it. We're not talking about teaching yet. I need to do it. The logical and only reality, once my heart is prepared and seeking, is doing the word of God. That's the whole point of the word of God. God energizes us with his word. He's speaking to us. Our, our heart lines up with his heart, and the power of the Spirit comes, and we are able to do what God says. To be able to recognize that God's speaking and God's doing something. And then say, all right, I'm on board. I'll do it, Lord. Saying yes to God. And then receiving his power to transform. And I use the word transform on purpose and not the word change. Too often I think if I, I would use the word change, but I think for me, change, change the way I would use it in my vocabulary, my connotation would be modification. I'm going to change this. I got a recipe. I liked it. But something was off. I'm going to change it. I'm not throwing the whole recipe away. I'm just going to make a tweak. Listen, when, God, when the Word of God comes and you're going to do it, we're not talking about changes. <laughs> we're talking about transformation. We're talking about a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. We're talking about what happened to you? Man, I started seeking the, the law of the Lord with all my heart, and I'm doing it. You're going to go from being a freaky, hairy bug, like a crawling worm that's disgusting, to a beautiful, flying butterfly. Completely different. Transformed. God doesn't... God, God's in the business of making things new. And I think we get the idea of modifications in our self-centeredness and we want to just like, God, don't mess with my life. I, I'll have you in my life, but let's just, let's just kind of get this going the way I want it. But God's ready to do a transformation. And when I'm ready for that, my heart's prepared. Say, all right, Lord, whatever you want to do, however you want to do it. And then, and then um, God makes things new. There's a warning about doing the Word of God in the New Testament. You guys know these verses. It's in James chapter 1. 
James says about the word, James chapter 1, verse 21, he says, Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. That's a great phrase. Receive with meekness the implanted word. He must have been listening to Jesus. He must have been listening to Jeremiah. He must have been listening to Ezra. Receive with meekness. Humility. Humble yourself. Prepare your heart to seek the law of the Lord. Receive with meekness the implanted word like a seed. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. When someone hears the word of God and then doesn't do it, who are they fooling? The husband who hears the word of God but doesn't do it, is he fooling his wife? The wife who hears the word of God but doesn't do it, is she fooling her husband? The child who receives, hears the word of God but doesn't do it, fooling the parents? The parents who hear the word of God but don't do it, do they deceive the kids? Or do the kids know? Deceive ourselves, really. When we just hear the word and not do it, we only deceive ourselves. And then he gives this analogy. If any is a hearer of the word and not doer, it's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. He sees himself. He goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But whoever looks into the law of liberty and continues in it is not a, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer, this one will be blessed in what he does. I need to be a doer of the word. This is especially dangerous in a congregation. We have an especial, especially risky position in a congregation that's just straight expository teaching of the Word of God. Now, we're not saying that's the only way. I think when we get done with uh, Esther, we probably will do a little Holy Spirit series. We need to remind ourselves of the presence and power of the Spirit in our lives. So we're not against topical teaching or a series on some topic or whatever. But I've met people, because I've been part of Calvary Chapel for a long, long time, and I've met people, I just love, I just love verse-by-verse teaching. And I, I knew their life a little bit, and I thought, maybe it'd be better if you did a little more verse-by, like did in your life, like actually do. You're listening. I liked that Bible study. What are you going to do differently? Nothing. I liked it, though. I'm sure it was for some people. I'm sure that I, I, I heard the word. It was amazing. I love hearing God's word. I love it. Personally, I love it much more if you like doing God's word. Because you could be a hearer of the word and not a doer. Right? I think there's an especially risky, treacherous ground that we're in where it's like, well, I go, our church teaches through the Bible. Haven't done anything the pastor said for many years. I managed to dodge every arrow shot my way. And he put, the sharp two-edged sword comes, and I'm like a, I'm like a spiritual Zorro. Dodge, parry. You know, I, I, use the, I use the shield of unfaith, the shield of disbelief, you know, to avoid the word of God. Well, it's, it's heavy. Do the word. Then he taught the word. Then he could teach the word. Ezra's now ready to teach. Now, the teaching part, is the part that we get captured by. We want to teach. We want to be influential. I think on a Father's Day, we, we want to have a legacy as men. We want to impact our families, obviously, first. But if you're a man and you're here and you want to have an impact, you've got to follow Ezra's example. There's no shortcut. It starts with your heart. And if you don't want to give your heart to the Lord, you are, it's going to be hard for you 
to teach anything of any spiritual value to your kids and have it have impact. It'll be harder for your children than, some, than a kid who was raised in a completely pagan home. I was raised in a completely pagan home. Okay? No influence spiritually from my mom and my dad. None. In fact, probably a lot of negative impact, uh, especially from my dad, uh, towards spiritual things, uh, or at least from the Lord. But I, can, I, was a, I was in youth ministry for many, many years. I myself was a kid when I first got saved. And the people that I saw struggle the most, this is my anecdotal research, you know, the people that I saw struggle the most were kids that were raised in the church where the dad wasn't all in. That's my observation. When, when there's the, the husband and wife profess that they're followers of Jesus and the dad is not all in, those children have the hardest obstacles. And as a youth pastor or as a friend or as a person like having hope for someone, I know that if I'm preaching to a drug addict, this person has a better chance of getting right with the Lord and understanding what it means to follow Jesus than the person that was raised in a Christian home with a dad who was not all in. It's, it's very difficult for a kid who's got a father who doesn't really have his heart in it. It's almost impossible. I've seen it. I've seen, I've seen kids overcome that. But it's the most, to me, it's the most difficult obstacle that a young person would have would be a father who's trying to tell him something, but he doesn't do it. Or his heart's not in it. Um, God can speak through anybody. God spoke through Balaam's donkey. God will speak through any donkey. Okay? So his word's powerful on its own. Someone could find a track. They could find a track. It's printed. How to, you know, the gospel's on there. Pretty, like no, no human being talking to them. They get the word of God by itself. A Gideon Bible placed in a hotel. Someone, some businessman, like, well, there's those Gideon Bibles. I'm going to read it. And he starts reading it. Get saved, right? No human being involved. God will speak. God's, God's amazing. The spirit of God is so powerful. Uh, God will use anybody, but we want to cooperate with God. And I think especially for you as a man, if you're here and you're, you say, I really want to have an impact I really would like to be able to have a voice in my family's life. I'd like to be able to uh, have, have influence. Well, you've got to start with the heart. Set your heart. Prepare your heart. That, that pre-choice ahead of time. I'm gonna, my heart's all in. Then I'm going to do what God tells me to do. Then you're in a position to teach and have it have some meaning. That's cooperating with God. That's powerful teaching that will influence um, I think I mentioned kids raised in a pastor's house, you know. Um, I've had friends that were in the ministry, you know, they had dads that loved the Lord and were serving the Lord and they weren't so troubled. But I've had other friends that have expressed it to me, you know. My dad loves his position, not really the word, you know. Um, he loves his titles, but not the kids. So why would, why would it, why, what would, why, why should your kids take your teaching seriously? If you don't take it seriously, right? Like the heart is where it's at. There's one last passage that I'd like to get to because I think Ezra uh, is an example of this. And Jesus was correcting the scribes most of the time. But if Ezra is the first scribe and he's the best example, preparing his heart to seek the law of the Lord, then doing it, then you'll know what to teach and you'll have that, that influence because it's coming from the heart and you're doing it and you're just inviting your family, those around you to, to be part of that. 
Let's go to Matthew 13 and we'll close with this um, encouragement. It's, it's part of the parable uh, chapter. Matthew 13, the last part of the verse or the chapter. Matthew 13, verse 52. Concluding his teaching on the, you know, all these parables, the kingdom parables of chapter 13. Then he has one last thing to say, verse 52. And I think just to make this positive here at the very end, encouragement to you. Jesus said to his disciples, therefore, every scribe, so remember, we've, the scribes in Jesus' day were getting rebuked all the time. But now he's going to say it positively. Every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven. So a scribe that's doing it right. Like Ezra. Heart seeking the Lord. Seeking the law of the Lord. I'm going to do what God says. I want to have influence. Well, what does that person look like? Here's this little statement. Every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Have you ever been around a person who knew God deeply, was committed to him, was a doer of the word, they were older, and you were so excited to talk to them? Because they had treasures. Treasures. You know, someone who's walking with the Lord, they have treasures, and they have old treasures. And they have new treasures. The scribe instructed concerning the kingdom can bring out of his treasure things new and things old. And I think that's one of the blessings of being able to be a man of influence or a dad on a Father's Day. You know, to have your children come to you and they're saying, hey, this is going on. And you're thinking of your treasure house and you think, I got something. Man, back in the day, oh, whew. (laughs) Man, I got lambasted in this situation. You know, there was a, you have something old. It's a treasure. You've been seeking the law of the Lord. You're doing it with all of your heart. You've got something in your treasure. It's old. But have you been to that old person and you ask them for advice and they give you some old moldy advice? You know, oh, back in my day, we never had to do it like that. Uphill both ways to school in the snow. You know, crawled on our bellies. Or, you know, you're talking like it's like, oh, our day was this. Or, oh, and this, you know, I'm, I'm not a hippie age, so when I was at Calvary Chapel, the hippies were, you know, they were yuppies. They got old, and it was the 80s, the late 80s, and, you know, God's starting to do something. Somebody, like, well, you should have been here back, and we used to have this. And I'm like, okay, all right. That, I'm not talking about old stuff that's not inspiring. Isn't there a difference? If you had something old that's inspiring, something old is like, less than inspiring. It's, like, actually discouraging. It's like, thanks, old person. I will not ask you ever again. <laughs> right? And we've experienced it. Every generation's experienced it. You old people got that when you were young and a hippie. Greg. He's afraid to look up. He's, he's looking down. I'm fake, fake taking notes right now. I don't want to hear that. But the generation before, like, well, you, in our day, we do this. And the generation before. But when your heart's right, you're seeking the law of the Lord. What a blessing to be that person in someone's life that you're like a scribe instructed in the kingdom and you got some, you're like, you know what? This thing hasn't gotten old at all. It's fresh. But not only old, but also things that are new. This, this is that current freshness. I had a, I had a professor uh, in college 
and we had an evangelism class, and uh, he brought in these tracks, you know, for passing out to people to share the gospel. He brought in these tracks that he had made in 1962. Artwork from 1962. Font from 1962. The cartoon, the whole, the whole scenario. And it, the issues that people were facing was 1962. And he brought them in like, here's some, you can use these. And, and I was like, you got nothing newer? Like, uh, I looked at it and I was like, if I handed this to any of my friends, it wouldn't make any sense to them. You know, like, and the issues that were, the, the per, like, how he's presenting the gospel, it wasn't, it wasn't content, it was old. He didn't have anything new. And then I started thinking, I wonder if he printed a bunch of these thinking they were awesome and has, like, a, they're on his garage and this semester course that he teaches is a chance for him to kind of offload them. That's my young bitterness still carrying around in my brain. Have you ever met an old person that's got nothing fresh and new? Nothing new. Well, you know, when I was in college, like, is that, a, is that one of the great old things you're bringing out? Or do you just have nothing new? Have you ever met an old person and it's new? An old person that's got this freshness that... I think Ezra. Ezra preparing his heart to seek the law of the Lord and doing it. Is he going to have new things? Is he a scribe like Jesus talking about, like a householder? Hey, what do you need? I was looking for... You know what? I got one of these. We've had it. And you're like, oh, you're going to love this. The, the steward of the house, the person in charge has got all the access. Like, oh, oh, you, oh, you know what you need? They just made these. You can have that. Like, it's a brand new one. Old and new. But the key to having old and new is the heart. When the heart's not right, maybe your heart was right at some moment of your life and you, there's this amazing thing that God did and that's the only good stuff you got and you're, that's, all you, that's the only well you can go to. But when your heart's right with the Lord, you got something brand new from this morning, fresh, and then you got something that's 60 years old and it's just as fresh because the heart, it's all about the heart. Ezra has the impact that he has and he has a tremendous impact. I think last week's Bible study in Hezekiah, Andrew, you know, I was giving him the title this morning. I said, it's the same title as last week. Influence, impact, influence, whatever you want to say. Hezekiah had this great influence. How? We saw it. He chose David as an example. Chose wisely, went back to the word what did David do? I'm going to follow that example, not what's going on now. I'm going to do what, they, what David did. How about Ezra? What tremendous influence he has. And he brings so, a revival to the nation in a difficult time. How? His heart. His heart. It's all about the heart, guys. So on a Father's Day, uh, I'd encourage you, be that scribe that Jesus was talking about. The best of example, Ezra, the example of it. Prepare your heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it. And then watch out, man, you'll have such an impact. The teaching will be powerful, impactful. That scribe who is like a householder who brings it out of his treasure and things new and old. Lord, I, I pray for help. You spoke, and I think even Chris prayed it in his prayer, that whoever hears your words and does them is like a person who builds their house on a rock, and then when all the things happen, the house will stand because it's founded on a rock. And the person who hears your words and doesn't do them, it's like a person who builds their house on the sand. So we know ultimately, Lord, the proof will be revealed, the, the reality, when the things happen, we'll see what the house was built on. I mean, there won't be any question about it. The house will stand or it will fall. So, Lord, we want to be sober. We thank you, Lord, for dads. We thank you for the 
potential for influence, the desire we have as men to want to be influential. But Lord, help us not shortcut it. Help us not to be caught up in our pride or, or in uh, our, our assessments or our judgments of circumstances. God, we, we pray that we'd be able to really be able to give our hearts over to you. Help us, Lord, to, to open our hearts to you, to seek you with the whole heart, seek your law, prepare our hearts to seek your law, and then be doers of the word. And then there's an opportunity for us to bring out new things and old things out of the treasure house to be able to teach, Lord. So deliver us. We, we know these things are, are common and, and uh, measurable, actually. And so we pray for help, God. Help us to, help us to get a victory in this area. And especially on Father's Day, Lord, we pray for the impact of dads, that, that our kids would be able to look at us really like that scribe who who can bring out old and new treasures and that our kids would always be able to come to us and dad has something fresh and has something old and it's, they're good. It's good stuff, Lord. So help us, help us. We want to be used by you and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Rich Chafin. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Rich's teaching ministry by visiting cclc.org.